Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 43. In tonight's episode, we will be doing another in our Faction Takedown series, where we're looking at Neoterra. But before we explore the ins and outs of NCA, I want to talk to you about how to defeat a better opponent. Someone who you deem, or at least perceive, to be better than you. So every player has weaknesses. An inexperienced player will have a lot of weaknesses. A better player will have fewer weaknesses. The very best may seem as though they have no glaring weaknesses at all, but they will have areas of their game which, are, which aren't as strong as others. In every game you play, you need to identify your opponent's weaknesses. You could be playing someone with a higher ranking, better technique, and more experience. On paper, they should win. But Infinity isn't played on paper. Even if you have less ability, you can still win if you use the right tactics to exploit an opponent's weaknesses, as well as a little bit of luck. Similarly, you could be a higher ranked player facing a weaker opponent. You should win, but if you play to that player's strengths rather than their weaknesses or play without thinking at all, taking it for granted, you could find yourself in a spot of trouble. Every player is unique. It will have different strengths and weaknesses. A tactic which works against one player may not work against another. Your job is to identify and use the tactics which work best. This shifts constantly. That said, here are a couple basic suggestions on how to take down an opponent, especially one you perceive is better than you. So off the bat, I'd like to suggest if in doubt, you want to go first and hit hard where you're especially targeting orders. If you feel like you are playing someone who's probably better than you, you wanna seize the initiative and go first. More, nine times out of 10, even when a mission strongly incentivizes you to take second turn, go first. And prioritize starving your opponent, taking out those extra orders that fuel their big scary things. Second, focus on collapsing a flank. Target your efforts. Don't just attack things hodgepodge willy-nilly, pushing up the side of a board. This is what I call shifting the table. If you can collapse their flank and get them direct to, them, to you from a different vector than they were anticipating, you now have the upper hand. As Obi-Wan said all those years ago, he had the high ground. You were inevitable to win. Third, hug the table edges. When you're deploying, play with your back against the table edges. So many times people have trouble uh, managing their sight lines, their different, uh, managing the vectors, the, all the different stuff that's coming at them. They, we always forget about our facing, for instance. The more you play with your back against the table edges, the less likely you're gonna make silly mistakes, like leaving yourself open. You can direct your opponent to and anticipate where they're gonna attack you from. Uh, along with that, stay out of the middle of the board till the late game. Too, er too often people rush towards the middle, but the middle is such a hard position to control, especially in the early and even the mid game of Infinity. If you can hug the table edges, stay on the peripheries, and then move towards the middle, towards the late game, you're gonna have more success than you could realize. 
Uh, of course, you want to reposition yourself for a successful next turn. Always be thinking in advance, thinking ahead. If you have those three extra orders that you don't know what to do with, ask the question, what can I do to advance my mission? Or how can I reposition in such a way that I protect myself and defend better? There's always this moment where you know you could spend more resources to push the attack. Success really comes down to oftentimes knowing when to throttle back. And then finally, remember, like this is a, a point that Ian would push home every uh, episode if he could. Know that every point matters. Squeeze out every opportunity to gain an additional point. Those begin to accumulate and stack up. Use those extra orders to accomplish an object objective. Listen, it can be tough if you play someone for the first time and have never seen them play before to know how to handle them, how good of a player they are, what to expect. In this situation, you may need to try a few different things early on. It's important not to get too fixated on what your opponent's doing. You need to play to your own game too. But if you can use your strengths against your opponent's weaknesses, then you will win a lot more than you lose. But before we get into the rest of our episode, we want to take a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things Infinity. As part of its sponsorship of Metachemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure to like our Facebook page and join our Discord to ensure you are entered to win. What's better than games? Mo Games. Okay, so let's check in with our lineup for our episode tonight. Our lineup consists of Devin, Azoka, and myself. Let's start with Devin. What's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've been trying to get a little bit more practice, kind of... Uh narrowing down things that I want to uh, play. I finally selected a faction for the Krug, so I'm going to go back to OSS. As much as I've been enjoying Tunguska, I think that I am just not as confident with them yet. And I know I have a little bit of time, but not as much as I want. So yeah, right. I'm going to be bringing them. And life always happens, right? You have probably less right. time than you realize. Yep. Inevitably. So when you were making that evaluation beyond just your comfortability uh, comfortability with the faction OSS, you play lots of Aleph, obviously, um, mm -hmm. and that's a that's an important component of making a decision on what to play. What were some of the things that you felt like OSS could do when you looked at the, like the mission lineup of the Krug? By the way, you want to make a shout out to the uh, Krug coming up. Uh, let everybody know when that's happening. Yeah, so this coming August, the weekend of the 12th through 14th, is going to be the Krug. Uh, we've got on the mission lineup, Frostbite, Decapitation, Supplies, Quadrant Control, and Firefight. So it's a pretty deadly lineup. Uh, a lot of the missions incentivize being able to deal damage to your opponent. But there's also a pretty significant amount of classifieds. Uh, and... I think that uh, part of it with Tunguska is, in my mind was just that they weren't as durable as I'm used to with Aleph, which, I mean, that's just something that Aleph tends to be good at, is that they're overall fairly resilient. Uh, 
And so I kind of want to lean into that a little bit and the quality of specialists. Like having specialists that are not there simply to push buttons. Uh, like if I want to take care of classifieds, there's a lot of really, really great options. Like, uh, you know, like, like the Asura hacker comes to mind. Like she can accomplish, uh, you know, with varying degrees of reliability. I think she can do 14 ish, 13, 14 different classifieds out of the deck. You know, some of those include things like Predator, which technically, you know, almost any model can do, but and she doesn't do it well, but she can. So things like that, where I have specialists that are powerful in other ways uh, and are very flexible, like, those are things that I've just kind of grown to love with Aleph, and I don't know if Tingus can really quite do that i mean not to say they couldn't do well at such an event just to say that i don't think i could do very well with them at such an event totally totally well i uh am pretty excited to see you put oss on the table and i love that you're going to the krug and excited to see what uh results you get um speaking of prepping for the krug i know azoka you're also on the podcast tonight and of course you've got your eyes on the krug but I also know you've got another regional tournament you're planning on going to. You want to fill us in on yeah. Rose City Raid? Yeah, planning on stepping outside of our four little corners and going to Oregon to participate in Rose City Raid out there. It was dropped to me by Tim Chainsaw, and I was like, you know what? That sounds like a good time. They've got a real aggressive lineup that I think will be fun to play that's going to be heavily different from all of the tournaments I've played so far. Whereas a lot of the tournaments were like unmasking and supplies and acquisition and then some like territory control. This is just like kill your opponent. We got decapitation, biotech for um, uh, I think firefights up in there. It's it's insane. What's the date on um, Rose City Raid? July or 22nd, I'm pretty sure. OK, so this podcast might be coming out right around that. Right. Right. around yeah. that time. I think so, um, but it's uh, going to be really exciting, going to be really tough. So I'm switching up to from Onyx to Morats, so I'm not too far from home. And that's what I'm going to play for Rose City Raid and the Krug. I was looking at doing some military orders to play two Montessa Knights in a duo because I think that's cool as hell, but... Here we are. I'm with. I don't want to switch it up between Rose City Raid and the Krug, so I'm just gonna do just just stick with Morats. It's worked. It's been working. I took it to a local tournament. Um, took first there. Learned some things about the uh, faction. Played you in the last round. Um, learned how much of a beast the Rindak is, and just a whole bunch of cool stuff. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, that thing was the MVP of our game for sure. Yeah, climbing plus. Throwing out paramedics. Oh, it was it was great. It was freaking awesome. Uh, another thing that I want to note on before we continue is your opening speech about playing to your opponent's weaknesses. So I was at this board game party recently, and we were talking about some of the fighting, um, like a fighting game, Street Fighter, where some of the people were going up against or, or going to like win the final, right? So there was an underdog and then someone else who was a really good player. 
So the underdog and the really good player, they were going, they were going at it back and forth and just, you know, having, having some good games. So then the underdog pulls out this character that he's just semi good at. And the opponent has never played against because there's a lot of fighters and the community thinks that it's a poor character play. So he plays this character that his opponent has no experience in, in like playing against, and he takes the, the tournament. So I think that was especially cool playing something off meta to shake it up. Yeah, off meta, going off meta is one of the best ways to zig when everyone else is zagging, right? And you can get an edge from doing that. Yeah, I think we were even talking about Infinity at the time, which is what led us to that conversation. But I, I have no idea what we, what we were saying. Yeah, sweet. Well, I will say I'm uh, getting excited for the Krug, for sure. Uh, I've, you know, documented with you guys my struggles with Corregidor, but I've also embra- uh, pivoted and embraced Shazvasti and had a lot of fun playing them. Uh, I think I, I don't know if I, I said this on the podcast a few episodes back, but certainly one of the things I've talked with you, Azoka, about is um, I really enjoy, I'm enjoying Shazvasti because it provides me an opportunity to make some interesting decisions. And and I think that's what I prize most about playing Infinity is that kind of complexity and interesting decision making. And when you feel like you're rewarded for making good decisions. And I wasn't anticipating that Shaz Vasti would be like that for me, but it has been so far and it's got me pretty excited also. So, um, yep, we're all getting kind of prepped. Uh, we're at, all of us are different at different stages of getting ready for the Krug, but that's the next big one for most of us that we've got on our, our eyes set on and looking forward to getting to see all the old friends from the four corners show up. If you are interested, make sure you hit us up. You can uh, reach out to us on discord and we'll get you connected to the tournament itself. Love to see anybody within our larger um, meta chemistry community show up and we'd love to chat with you at the, uh, the, on the days of the event as well. So um, but we got to move on. Let's talk a little bit about our main topic for tonight. We're doing another faction takedown. Again, just to recap why we do these, um, a lot of different podcasts will do breakdowns of different factions, talking about their relative merits and strengths in relationship to other factions. But usually I think that that's just most interesting for the people who play that faction. I think for the bulk of our listenership, you have a handful of factions you play, but you have to play against all sorts. And so we want to come at this from the angle of if you go up against NCA, how do you beat them? Uh, and I thought I'd highlight we'd, th- we'd highlight NCA because it's, it's interesting. Rarely do you pick an out-of-print faction to talk about, but they received some pretty significant bumps in power level due to the fire team rules that we talked about in our last episode. And as a result, there are a lot of people, anecdotally at least, in the tournaments we've been playing in, who are running NCA again. And it's gone through a bit of an evolution in its kind of um, character and approach. So I thought, Devin, maybe you could start off with give us an overview of what NCA was in the past, like when you would play against NCA or you see someone playing, how did you think about it as a faction? 
and how has it changed in the current context? Yeah, I think things that you would likely see from Neoterra uh, kind of earlier on, not, uh, I won't go from the beginning of NCA, just because I know that they've had a lot of changes since then, and I'm sure I'll get some of them wrong if I do that. Uh, but I would say that the things that you would commonly want to anticipate are the guards, the Aquila Guard and the Swiss Guard. Those tend to be kind of their headliner power piece units and just having you know, a heavy infantry, so it's fairly durable, both with ballistic skill 15, either being able to see through uh, all mimetism and obfuscating gear uh, with the Aquila, or having mimetism 6 on the Swiss. Uh, th those are kind of the, the big hitters, and uh, also the Ulan would be pretty common, which the Ulan's a super cool tag, and still is has lots of neat tools, but I think individual power pieces were more common. Uh, and I feel like Auxilia made a pretty common presence. Um, bolts at the time were a bit more maligned. They had some kind of bloat and some equipment that didn't necessarily synergize particularly well and some skills that didn't necessarily synergize very well. Uh, but if you fast forward to today, uh, bolts are now kind of the headliner uh, in kind of any sectoral that they are uh, able to join fire teams. Like they're a talking point. Exactly. So I mean, they're they're kind of the stars of the show now, and it's and it's cool because these this was a unit that was not originally around when Neoterra came out, uh, and you know now they've kind of become the namesake of the faction. And I think it's kind of fun to have a more, these are obviously higher tier than, say, Fusiliers or what have you, but generally speaking, kind of a baseline unit as opposed to a one of, two of type of trooper. I feel like you'll see a lot of these in lists, like usually a full core or uh, a pair of three-man teams or whatever the case may be. Like you're going to see several bolts or more every time almost. <laughs> Yeah, you count on it, right? Uh, Zoka, talk to me about your thoughts on the current state of Neoterra. Big picture. We'll get into the details in a second, but uh, when you look at when you think about Neoterra and what they bring to the game at, at, a, at a tournament level of play, what are you seeing? I'm seeing Uma. She's really the shining star in Neoterra. Granted, Neoterra brings a lot of bullets, and they bring a lot of bullets well, but Uma is really, I think, the glue that will hold that faction together, um, specifically because she's going to be your piece to press buttons. And she can't be so easily targeted out. So, like, your opponent, ourselves, we'd know, hey, Uma's going to be the, the threat for winning the game. Sure, the bolts will kill my stuff, but if I'm up in victory points, he can kill me all he wants. But Uma is the problem because she's going to cap points. Well, she's got that layer of the marker state and mimetism, but not only that, she's also got climbing plus. So she's going to be up on a rooftop to where you can't get her 
and you're just going to be you're going to be fumbling around trying to get through the ARO pieces that are covering her. So I think that that's that's really kind of a general standpoint of where NCA is going to sit in a competitive meta. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, If I think of NCA historically, it I thought of high ballistic skill troops that start in the deployment zone, like most of Pano, right? And then have to slog their way out of that DZ and advance while shooting. And usually, historically, like N3, for instance, that meant they needed a ton of orders because you needed resources to do all that work, to do all that slogging. Um, With the 15-order cap, that changes the dynamic, but NCA got a couple different pieces that changed up that profile and and may and Uma uh, more than any stands out. Now, Chris, talk to me about why Uma is such a big deal in in terms of the composition of NCA. So the only other real strong units that you're going to find for accomplishing the mission is going to be like you can run hexes which have mark state but still have to march up the board. Um, you could do locusts, but they're a little easier to take advantage of. So if you're if you're going first as NCA, you have a killer hacker locust, and then you can put them in impersonation. And that's pretty good. Like that's that's solid. Um, but specifically, like looking at Uma, it's the deployment that she has. So she's saving you a little extra orders. It's the climbing plus being able to get around buildings and you know awkward situations, um, just like you were saying. And she in her own right, is a a good fighter. She's a good gunfighter. She's got a SMG with plus one burst, so she's shooting, rolling four dice at you. Mimetism, you know. Anybody who's going to be a midfield threat to her, it, uh, or a midfield kind of uh, specialist or something, she's going to be able to ha- take care of. Yeah. She's kind of a poor man's version of Dart, right? That like yeah. That collection of skills... And I know from running Aleph a bunch, I don't take I don't leave home without Dart. Um, she's not maybe yeah. not as resilient as Dart is, like as as tough, but but she's a specialist. Dart was is never a specialist, but that a lot of those um, co- that combination of uh, loadouts and skills that she has makes her just a very interesting profile for sure. So she's target number one for you. For me, 100%. If I can get to her, but most of the time, it's going to be a pain. going to be <laughs> yeah. a pain. Totally. Okay, so we got to figure out how to get to Uma. Uh, Devin, what are some other kind of common power pieces that you see are going to show up in, in a lot of lists at a tournament level? So just to kind of touch on what I was saying earlier, you're commonly going to see neo lists backed up by bolt fire teams. They just have atrocious firepower, not necessarily because they roll extra dice or anything along those lines, but the numbers that they are hitting on are just outlandish. Like it's, yeah, it's like, you know, you're seeing 19s in a lot of cases, if you're running a full core, and they're not, they're not dirt cheap, but they're not very expensive. Uh, so, you know, all of them hover 
basically in the 20s, uh, with maybe one exception. But yeah, they're skill 13. It's they're cheap enough that you can reliably have uh, a composed fire team of them. And they have marksmanship, which is really the standout that that tipped them over the edge, moving from bioimmunity to marksmanship, which I guess bioimmunity in this edition would have been very different than bioimmunity <laughs> last edition. Um, it would have made them a very different role at that point. But yeah, marksmanship, having them ignore ignore the penalty to hit for cover uh, means that, you know, as long as they're in good range and they're in a full core, that's 19s. And they have a sniper option, a multi-sniper rifle with MSV-1, so you can even knock back some or all of the mimetism you might run into. Meaning, you know, even that's not enough to keep you safe. So they're just oppressively firing at you with huge numbers, like commonly 16s to 19s. And that's hard to deal with because you'll run into those situations a lot of times where you have to crit to get out of the roles you're forced to make. Yeah, it's and like so, facing a five-man team of Atlanta. Right. Yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely something that I think you'll commonly see. Um, you know, like Chris said, Uma's certainly going to be there because she just fills very critical gaps in NCA's lineup. Um, Otherwise, the combat remotes that Penno has access to, the yeah. Peacemaker and the Bulleteer, great options. I was just um, going to say that, like most most of Pano's sectorials, a staple are some really efficient, uh, just bargain attack remotes, and and absolutely. or cheap flash pulse bots that the Fugazi, like I think. Um, they're they're taking at least three of those if they can. So that that becomes a big the remotes become a big part of any they're a big staple of any Neoterra list. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you see that AVA three for flash pull spots, uh, you know, that really you really feel it in those sectorials. Like being able to have that many cheap orders that are also effective at protecting uh, like you can get a lot of a lot done with flashball spots uh, but yeah i mean the peacemakers again kind of lean into what's generally a weakness for nca uh, like you said they commonly have to march out of their deployment zone and they have the tools to do it but it's order intensive and so having those units like peacemakers like uma um like locusts and garuda to a lesser extent anything that can start outside of your deployment zone is going to go a long way but largely this is going to be carried on the back of bolts in terms of most of your offense and defensive capabilities yeah so uh question for you both what do you what about the historic and iconic solo pieces that devin referenced at the beginning of the podcast we're talking the swiss guard the aquila guard the ulan uh tag what are your thoughts on those making lists uh in a tournament setting these days i think 100 percent those are going to be in in a list um if you can fit a list with one of those tags and well okay so i've played against someone who had 
full core bolt team and a clutch and an Ulan. And it was impressive. So I think it can totally be done. Um, he had specialists in the uh, bolt team. So those could go up and accomplish missions. Um, so coming up for the Krug, for example, if I'm going to look at facing them uh, at the Krug, I wouldn't, they don't, we don't have as many specialist um, mission, like focus missions. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of aggression and, and like uh, uh, control of a board, right? And that's something that NCA is going to do particularly well with the aforementioned Peacemaker. And the, you know, bolts put up high um, or covering a lane where you can't get a coordinated order off. So I think they could just sit idle on a couple of easy pieces and then throw in one of the expensive ones. Like, I think a Swiss Guard is incredible. That's something that they're going to roll around with the HMG and they're going to... Uh, pop it out to take out whatever piece that you have. Um, but more so, I think that it'll either go into, if they're running a solo piece, it's probably going to be the Ulan. Because the Ulan, it's just a marker state tag that has terrifying ranged opportunities. It's That's really where it's at. Don't get me wrong, Swiss Guard is incredible, but if you're going to have that many points, you'll probably just fit in the Ulan. Yeah, I think you're right. And in fact, I would say not. it's not that the Swiss Guard's bad. I just th- have no. seen less and less of it on the table com- uh, compared to some of these other pieces that we've talked about. Um, I just think that there's. it used to be there was only one option, that big attack piece. And now you've got, like you said, the Ulans. Um, that, that shows up all the time, along with Bolt's. It's like the, the those are the two biggest pieces that I ch- generally see uh, when I play against yeah. them. I'm seeing the Squallow a lot too, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just he's your average tag. He's good. I think he's solid too. But I think mm-hmm. if I had had to pick, I would pick the Ulan. Yeah, that's what I'm factoring in. It's almost always being held in reserve too. How about you, yeah. Devin? What do you think about the solo pieces, the Kila Guard? it making lists these days you know i think that the the marksman rifle specialist fto the multi-marksman rifle is a really cool tech piece to have because it gets you a solid gunfighter uh, well rather a very good gunfighter with a solid weapon um, you know the multi-marksman rifle is certainly not the most devastating thing you can have but it's a great uh, it's a great weapon that's very versatile and it's a specialist which you know it's just a generic specialist operative but a lot of times that's enough and so i really prize that sort of versatility so seeing things like that are really great um you know obviously the heavy machine gun is going to be a good offensive option but I think that NCA is just so flush with active turn gunfighters that it's a little less relevant in that role. And so, you know, like you mentioned, moving on from a Swiss Guard to, say, a Squallow is a lot of times you know, a roughly 10 point, 10, 15 point jump. And that's a different kind, but a lot of ad- added durability. You lose the mimetism, but you gain a ton of armor and 
the ability to take an extra hit. Um, and in an extreme pinch, you know, you can always use the crab bot as another specialist for something. <laughs> That's a pinch for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not definitely not going to be your first choice, but, you know, but having an option, if you've put the heads down from everybody else on the other side of the table, because that's what's going to be expected when you run into NCA. Like, you don't want to leave ARO pieces out. Those bolt snipers or similar are just going to blast them off the table. Uh, Even so in a hair. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just going to make it so you're, you're not going to want to post up any sort of meaningful ARO's. Uh, so you kind of almost uh, in some ways are going to expect some of the board to be seated to you because you just have atrocious firepower and the ability to you know almost pick up whatever ARO at will totally okay so uh to round this part of the discussion out any curveballs that you see any other profiles that maybe don't usually aren't like staples but you think are at least worthy of note. For instance, Shona Carano, like one of the only CC pieces in the faction, right? Uh, she yep. has shown up on a few different lists that I've played against. Um, any thoughts on her? I think she fills in a really good section for NCA when they have. They I don't know. You, you have. You'll be. You'll have the ability. To like you had said, um, hug the edges of the board to kind of filter your opponents in. So then you could you could strategically seed sections of the board to your opponent, so that way Shona can get in there and do some business. Um, I think that she does that really good. But in my opinion, when that's happening, it's a bit of a win more situation. Um, yeah, tease that out a bit more. Like the the win more because I totally agree with you uh, how she tends to be a win more piece. Yeah, yeah, and then I just uh, what they need is something to help them with the mission. But um, I think that like they've got some option. They've got really good hacking presence. Um, believe it or not, for a pano faction, they've got the da they've got access to devas, which are whip fifteen hackers, um, and then they've got the peacemakers. Right, that alone is a really solid like opening hacking faction i don't care if you look at pano and you're just like this is stupid they shouldn't hack it's good um i think yeah, that, a, uh, a hacker that is not just whip 15 but has nwi so effectively two wounds uh and can eat like a a killer hackers aro <laughs> yeah and you might it might even be you might even see a lot of like double harrises i mean like a harris and a trite like a core three man because you could have just a bolt with a plus, you know, one burst on the sniper rifle. So he's still shooting on 16s. That's pretty good. And that should have a good opportunity at taking out a lot of your ARO pieces. So you might see that. And then with a little bit more of variety in the second Harris or some solo pieces that could be really objective focused. Oh, yeah, I think I think another potential standout like something that i don't expect to see all the time but something that is worth being aware of is ida swanson uh, she does have a little bit of forward deployment um, you know she gets the random bonus from a booty roll 
but she's got viral mines, which are really nasty. Um, and she's got the plus one burst submachine gun, you know, along the vein of the camo Uma. And so she also can fight reasonably well. Like she's not, she's certainly not of the same level of Shona, but she's CC 19 with a shot close combat weapon and martial arts too. Like that's respectable. It's not you know, definitely the scariest thing you'll find, but is plenty to mop up, you know, average combatants or worse. And she's got a viral pistol. So she actually brings a pretty reasonable amount of viral ammunition to the faction that you don't really expect from Pano. Like that's not really in their normal wheelhouse. And so certainly not going to see her all the time, but I think that she's an interesting tech piece, especially, you know, for a, for someone who's concerned about, um, you know, Ariadna in general or bears or what have you, like being able to, cool, I'll arrow drop a viral mine <laughs> is a pretty it's, good spot to be. I mean, listen, that is an absolute curveball because I don't think I even realized she was in the, this faction. I, I'd be, I've never seen her run on any list that anyone has ever taken. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong, Devin. Like I like the the like what we were just talking about. Going off meta can be a great strategy, um, but that's not something I ever even considered. So interesting. Are you guys yeah. in or out on the locust? I'm out. I Devin? like the locust in theory. I'm out. <laughs> I'm hard. I'm a hard out. So you you can I make the case for it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm a hard out. They are cheaper. That's the one thing I will say. They're cheaper mm -hmm. than they used to be. Sure. Like the, I like the Locust for having infiltration. It's, um, you know, again, being outside the deployment zone is so important for the faction. And they're the only infiltrating option that they have. And they have specialist options. And you know, they have Mimetism 6. And so on paper, there's a lot of these things that really work towards their favor. For being a strong unit, but they just really feel vulnerable. Like if you if you're not going first, I feel like it's really hard to make good use of them. Uh, unless you're doing something like maybe the submachine gun wild parrot option, which at that point you're not a specialist anymore. All their specialist options are hackers, and you're not in a marker state. So the problem often ends up being you want that midfield specialist, they're a hacker. They're effectively out in the open because the hacker doesn't care about mimetism. So you see a repeater come up nearby. They hack you. You die. <laughs> and that's about the end of it. Because uh, you're not going to put up a very strong fight through firewall mods. Uh, so I love the idea of the Locust. And I think that they should do well. And they can. But I feel like it really, really wants to go first. And you just can't bank on that. Yeah. For me, um, whenever I faced them, and they make a lot of people's lists, a lot. Um, I would say 75% of any NCA list I've faced has at least one Locust. Um, but I've never had trouble uh, getting that, getting to them and, and removing them. So uh, for me, they're, they're not a, a strong threat that I'm worried about. Okay, so let's get uh, one last thing before we get into how to beat them. 
Uh, are there any surprises that you guys think show up? Um, I think in, the, in these lists, maybe a hexa. Yes, a hexa. The might sniper catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. The sniper or the killer hacker. The the sniper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they even have they have an attack base. I mean you could you could go out there with the um, Spitfire. Spitfire version. Yeah, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Uh, but yeah, they've got a little bit of hidden deployment. Like you have the Hexa, you have the you have the Swiss, Swiss Guard, Swiss Guard, the missile and launcher Swiss. I, th- I actually be. think I actually think that has a stronger place in today's meta than the HMG, for sure. And especially like if you yeah. look at an Octopher, you're afraid of that thing. Well, this is worse. It's way worse. So expensive yeah. though. It yeah, is really. Expensive. I mean, it's two Noctifiers, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're getting the extra wound. You're getting the ex- significantly extra uh, higher armor, significantly higher ballistic skill, but you're really paying for it. Uh, so there is that. It does. Um, it does actually. If you crunch the numbers, it's not as good as the HMG in the active, but it's not that far off. I've crunched numbers on this thing, and especially when you're trying to tackle um, crack armor, even on one mm-hmm. die, like you you'd be surprised at the work that that missile launcher can get done. I just think in terms of its flexibility uh, to throttle between offense and defense, um, it's it's the more unique piece than the HMG. HMGs yeah, have come down in N4, and the missile launcher went up. Yeah, I could see that, particularly in the Swiss Guards case. Like, maybe not as a general rule, but okay. yeah, for the Swiss Guard in particular, yeah, specifically with Swiss, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just um, talk a moment on, yep. uh, like, my approach to dealing with NCA? Yeah, let's let's get into that. Let, so this that was my next part is how do you take them apart? How do you beat them? So for me, when I'm looking at it, um, specifically, a game comes to mind that I played where I was like, it was a casual Thursday night game. And I wasn't really like putting my head into it. I was just like, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to play Infinity, roll dice and see cool stuff happen. So I was playing Onyx and I used Norkius and he was going up and kind of like hitting, hitting a flank, um, killing some of their the killer hackers that they had. Sure, they're BTS six, but you roll three dice enough. It's you can you can really catch them off guard. Um, it did for some of the hackers. And then I just decided to throw them to the wind. Let luck choose um, what's going to happen and kind of put them out in front of a couple of bolts um, and move into CC. Uh, I made a couple of mistakes. Dice didn't go my way, and he got obliterated. And then from that moment forward, all of my good gunfighters could not outshoot anything that he had. So it was even like um, combi rifles that were the problem. Um, so it helped me helped reinforce kind of like my original instinct on taking down NCA is to just of completely avoid them like if you can put a building in between you and them um that that's what i'm doing if you can if you have six inch move um models with cautious move like not remotes and the like um use those to cross the gaps um dodge like move dodge smoke's not really going to do you a whole lot unless they're running the missile launcher uh bolt um and like aforementioned Aquila or a Swiss guard or like the Kalashwitz Ulans. But you're uh, always going to see the sniper. You're always, uh, yeah, yeah. Always. Probably. I, mean, I think the missile launcher is pretty scary myself, but the sniper in its own right is also incredible. And I think it should be there, but 
smoke if you can, but generally you can't rely on that. But you're probably not going to build your list with that in mind anyways. If you're going to have smoke, you're taking it to a tournament. You're going to have smoke regardless of looking to face NCA. So if you yeah. have the tool to smoke and they're running the missile launcher, use that to get through. And you just don't want to fight them, and not even in their mediocre range. Because if you're fighting them in their zero range, they're still hitting you on 16s. Or, oh, sorry, yeah. not 16s. Uh, like, yeah, 16s yeah, or 16s. If, and, they're, yeah. if they're in a full link and they're zero range, 16s. Mm-hmm. And that's the sick part of them. Like, similar to you, I, re- I remember I was taking on Eric and I brought in Carlotta in the backfield and angled to get stuff out of cover. Cause I wasn't really thinking it was again, casual game. I wasn't really thinking it through. I wasn't crunching the numbers and I'm thinking Carlotta base 13 hitting stuff, three dice hitting on 16s uh, in good range, getting stuff out of cover, break the link down to four, three um, combi shooting back on 19s. It was, it was insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, with two dice. Yep. And I I was just like, whoa, yep. So I take a very similar approach. I don't even engage bolts. It, if I, I have to, it's five dice. Yeah. And or it's it's got to be like Eclipse Smoke or so, if you've got access to that, where you're, where you, I love get the idea of getting into close combat. I love the idea of dropping templates on them. I love the idea of like, getting up close avoiding uh, but avoiding a gunfight at all costs but i don't i i'd rather prioritize all the other chaff all those remotes you can shut them down with your hackers you can kill you can you can shoot them um out of cover and and, and put them away like you target their infiltrators so that they can't push buttons and now they have to move that bolt link out we talked about this a few episodes ago that um, you want to put your opponent in a situation. Sure, they castled up with their bolts, um, and they're h- tough to crack. But the moment they start moving out, that's when gaps start showing up for them. How about you, Devin? How do you beat them? Yeah, I mean that's really the way I feel like you have to approach it. Yeah. As the calculations determined in war games, the only way to win is not to play, and so <laughs> you you can't reliably engage in those gunfights. Not to say that you can never outshoot a bolt. That's certainly not the case. You can, you know, either get good dice rolls or you can find ones other than the MSV and have a large mimetism advantage and things like that that can kind of try and eke those mods back to your favor. But ultimately, it's not a great time to try and outshoot bolts and the like. So any sort of asymmetric combat is going to be ideal. So if you can obfuscate line of sight, either, you know, throw up white noise in front of those snipers, if you uh, if you have smoke, if you can do cautious moves, all those things that you guys were saying in terms of just avoiding them, that's great. Uh, but speculative fire, guided, like anything that doesn't involve you having to trade rounds, those are the things that you want to look for. Uh, and that holds true with a lot of the kind of power pieces in Neoterra. Not necessarily to the same extent, but 
not far off. I mean, if you're fighting Blisk skill 15 tags and heavy infantry, I mean, you know, it's not it's not 19s, but it's still probably higher than what you're shooting at them with, uh, which is not a, not a very fun place to be. Um, but yeah, I, I find that that hacking, ideally supplemented by guided, like those will solve a lot of problems that you just can't crack conventionally. And so yeah, I mean, like you guys say, trying to avoid gunfights where you can is the way to go if possible. Would you throw a tag at them? Would you get in a gunfight with a tag against them? Against bolts? <laughs> well, I guess I guess it kind of depends. Um, I would be pretty worried seeing like the missile launcher, for example. Like that's a little rough. Um, I feel it's a little better about the sniper rifle because they're going to want to switch to AP. So okay, so that's. I mean, that still hurts, but it's not. But it can't take you off the board <laughs> the in same. one shot. Yeah. Right. So I think that. I think that tags could do it, and you could duel with their other pieces. Like you could duel with the Swiss or Aquila Guard or the Squalo or the Ulan with a tag, depending on what it is. Like, you know, if I'm home in Aleph and I have a Marut, I don't, I don't feel bad about any of those engagements. Uh, but against Bolts, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I want to find another way to deal with it first if I can. And that, you know, that tag is the backup plan. Yeah. Uh, Azoka, when you, so you started off the counter to the bolts with, hey, let's find a big building, stick it in between me and them, go take out the other things. How do you go take out those other pieces? Let's say you've got Uma on the board. Let's say you've got a peacemaker or two. Let's say you've got a bolteer. Maybe there's a Harris, the bolteer's linked in. Maybe it's running solo. Uh, you've got, certainly got uh, some Fugazi out there. You've got your five man sitting in the back deep. You you've positioned yourself in such a way like like I just like hypothesize here. Yeah. So how do you approach it? I I tend to have a lot of versatility in the lists that I'm building that play well. Whenever I have a versatile list, it plays well. So if I'm taking my if I'm so uh, let me just put it into perspective right now. Um, my Morats list that I'm going to be running up here. Um, I'm playing two tags. One of them is the Burst 5 uh, HRMC on the Bull Truck. Um, so he, I, I would feel comfortable throwing that at uh, the, bullet, the, the Bolt Sniper. So if I'm running that, that's what I'm going to run against the Bolt Sniper. Um, if uh, Otherwise, I've got a Raicho. So I'll, uh, if I can put myself on the opposite side of a building... I'm going to lob out a mine and then I'm going to pop out and make my opponent make poor decisions. So he has to now deal with a mine on top of the Raicho hitting him with uh, a multi HMG or something. Um, that's how I would tackle that instance with one of my lists. Alternatively, that list also has smoke and good CC units in um, uh, Prada and Kornak. So I'll just throw Prada up into his business and just be be fine with it. Like, that's cool. Um, I will happily trade a Preda for any of your bolts. Um, 
now I'll have to start paying attention to where the paramedic is because it's going to be difficult for me with most of that, uh, most of those choices that I'm making to actually remove the bodies from the table. So their bolts in that's probably still in the link team is going to be likely bringing up their, their dude. So I have to target that guy too. Um, and if I can't do all of that in the same like turn, then I just have to throw down the smoke, um, take cautious moves uh, pretty far through um, to just get into positions where they're going to have to come into chain rifles or something. That that totally. would be what I would do with that list. Yeah, totally. I think um, one of the things that it's worth considering is as strong as that bolt link is, it telegraphs a ton. It telegraphs itself a ton. So in terms of deployment and setting up on a table, you can very accurately anticipate where the bolt link is going to end up. Whether you're going first or second, you're going to be able to anticipate because there's almost always going to be a desire for that player to put that sniper or missile launcher or whatever in, in a tower. Um, some, some, um, players won't do that, but it's very few and far between because they just know how powerful of an overwatch tool it is. And so I just like to suggest that to everyone who's listening is don't just think about what they have, but where they're going to be positioning themselves. And when you know where they're going to be, it makes a big difference. I remember in my game, one of my games at SLS, um, couple seasons ago or two seasons ago um i was going up against someone who i knew was running at atlanta and i gave him a side that had a clear tower in the dz and i did it because i knew he was going to put atlanta up there and it made it easy for me to like set up my counters so think also in terms of deployment and and where your opponent is telegraphing their setup the other thing I would say is a, a clear weakness, as we've kind of hinted at or uh, skirted around with um, Neoterra, is they're not fast. It's not a, a, apart from the remotes, it's not a fast faction. So you, uh, at least the way I like to play, I usually can outflank. I can usually outmaneuver. I can usually um, de, um, set the condition the playing field in such a way that I'm getting myself into optimal um, ranges, optimal situations. I am more often able to come at them from weird vectors than they are able to come at me. They tend to move towards me. <laughs> That's basically what they do. Yeah, they move forward. And so if you can start, if you can avoid the bolts, if you can starve them of orders, if you can force them out of their castle, and slog their way up, and then if you can lay mines, if you can put, if you can, if you can lay down mines over and around objectives, those mines become huge challenges because a lot of these um, profiles that we're talking about are one wound profiles. Um, so those are a few. Any other thoughts from you, Devin, on how you'd like to play against them? Yeah, you know, like I said, I think the main thing is just trying to avoid gunfighting. So yeah, I think we've kind of talked about a lot of good alternatives to that, but I think that's really 
the main thing that I try and focus on. Um, now, again, they are going to be tucked in their deployment zone commonly. There's only a few units that won't be. Uh, a big shout to the Garuda for that purpose as well. Um, Garuda's being able we to didn't run really in. highlight that. Yeah, that's a really good call. That's shown up in a lot of uh, games I've played. I think we super overlook that. That's going to be included in a lot of the NCAA mm -hmm. competitive lists. It's cheap and it's a specialist. Yeah, it can be. It has a specialist option. It is fast. It deploys outside the deployment zone, potentially in your deployment zone, um, and so it's very, very dangerous. Um, it's fragile, but it's a pretty decent fighter with BS12 and Mimetism 3. Um, and again, it has a lot of speed that otherwise is kind of lacking in NCA. Uh, so that's something to kind of keep an eye out for. But yeah, I think that by and large, having a strong repeater net is a good way to also deal with them if you don't necessarily have the mines. Sure, it doesn't affect bolts because uh, bolts themselves are not hackable. Uh, but... You can still spotlight, which then you can use guided weapons. Uh, and then uh, a lot of the other threats tend to be hackable. The heavy infantry, the tags, the remotes, all these things that we're talking about tend to fall into those categories if they're not bolts. So you can really take out a lot of those other pieces with strong hacking, which I know kind of is a point that we touched on already, but I think it's worth reiterating that... Uh, that's something that they can be pretty vulnerable to. And if you are in a faction that can cast a wide hacking area, then that's something that the Neoterra player needs to respect as they move forward, because you don't really want to advance with bolts in the same way. If you can help it, bolts are really good at fighting from afar. I mean, they still get all the same benefits up close, but they have to walk all the way there. And that's why I find that's a little less appealing. In the end, I think we we can kind of sum up our approaches. You really want to develop your asymmetric game when you're taking on bolts. You can't just bully your way through yeah. them, and 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 Neoterra in general. You just can't bully. And if that's if that's the only card you can play, and so then you're finding you're not having much success. That all this is just pushing you to is develop to uh, approach where you become more well-rounded, where you round out your game, you gotta start pressing into a lot of your other tools. Um, yes, this is a shooting game, first and foremost, but you have lots and lots of other tools that you can uh, avail yourself of. And and it's good that you have Neoterra pushing you to think a little different than how you normally do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those uh, sort of brick wall things that you kind of have to find a way around it instead of trying to run through it. Okay. Well, I feel like this was a, a good place to then wrap things up. So uh, hope get your th final thoughts in mind. But before we get to those, we want to remind you, our listeners, of Patreon. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Not only does it help us out, but it grants you a number of benefits, such as access to the extra co content that we're trying to produce. 100% um, of any funds we get goes right back into the podcast. So find a link to our Patreon page in the show notes, as well as you can find a link to our Discord channel. And speaking of Discord, come join our growing community. 
super supportive of everything Infinity. A uh, lot going on. Uh, we even talk about a lot of other games on the Metachemistry Discord these days. So, uh, hope to welcome you in and greet you when you uh, join the server. And just appreciative of the community that's forming around us. It's, it's been great. Uh, great to know, get to know all of you virtually. With that said, Devin, Azoka, what are your final thoughts? Don't let them bully you, man. Boom. Boom. Profound. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> Don't get bullied. <laughs> Say no to bullying. Devin, how about you? Yeah, I think just being aware that the strengths and weaknesses of Neoterra are very pronounced. Like the things that they're good at, primarily gunfighting, they are very good at. The things that they are not great at, like close combat or uh, or mobility, um, there's very limited access. They don't have a ton of tricks. They have a few. It's like there's the Hexa and the Swiss Guard are the light and heavy uh, hidden deployment, but they're in the deployment zone. There's only one infiltrator in the faction in the Locus, and you know where it's going to be, and it's revealed so you know what it has. No surprises there. You see a large camo token, it's going to be the Ulan. There's no <laughs> surprises. Like, there's very little that can actually be kind of sprung on you without you knowing ahead of time, assuming you have a little bit of knowledge of the faction. Um, you know, where is that hidden deployment troop going to show up is probably the biggest one alongside if there's Garuda dropping in. Uh, but yeah, largely their power projection is going to be obvious on the table more often than not. And so that gives you a very clear idea of what you're up against and how you might be able to circumvent that. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to play off of that with my final thought. Because of their power projection is so clear, because most of every, everything is on the table, there are, uh, provided the few exceptions of hidden deployment and the, the parachutist, uh, keep in mind what the mission is. So, and then prioritize accordingly. So if it's a button pushing mission, your priorities are avoid the bolts and go kill the midfield skirmisher and the camo token in the mid in the midfield and any other kind of specialist troop because they're not going to be able to win if you take those off the board. If it's an area control kind of mission, you know that they have to move out. They so set traps. No, you know that they're going to try to dominate some zones. So, like, don't play to where they are currently, but play where they need to get to, and anticipate. And if it's a gunfighting kind of mission, uh, preserve your order, preserve your resources, preserve your troops. Don't get into um, face-to-face. Uh, mono mono gunfights pick on their chaff and and get rid of it that first and then win the game by attrition late 
So just just remember your mission and have a strategy. Don't just it's just not it's just not one of those one size fits all kind of games. So you gotta um, adjust accordingly. So that's my final thought. But uh, it's a fun it's fun to see the bolts, uh, the Neoterra in general, and the bolts kind of on the ascendancy right now. Just because I feel like they're so such an iconic troop with the, those red helmets and everything. So it's just. It's been fun to see them in the meta, especially from a out of print faction, right? Like you just not, and that's 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 a fair point too that um, Ian has sometimes mentioned to to me is not everyone's going to be able to have access to those. But I'm glad that the folks that do own um, Neoterra are getting an excuse to get it on the board and uh, bring it to, to tournaments. So with that said, on behalf of Meta Chemistry, this has been Andrew, Chris. And Devin. And that's the meta.